This is the news from the Lord. Hello, America. This is Jeffrey Lord with another edition of the Did He Really Just Say That? The Word of the Lord. We have a guest today. That would be Pennsylvania Congressman Scott Perry. Many of you would know Congressman Perry as the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, but I am privileged to know him as my favorite congressman. And why is that? That would be because Congressman Perry is my congressman, and he's doing a bang-up job of representing we central Pennsylvanians. More on this in a minute. But first, by now you've all heard me talk about my pillow, and now our friend Mike Lindell has done it again by introducing his new my slippers. Mike has taken over two years to develop the slippers. They're designed to wear indoors and outdoors all day long, and I do. They're made with my pillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue, and they're made with quality leather suede. For a limited time, Mike is offering 40% off his new my slippers. The my slippers are so comfortable that you will want to get some for the whole family. So go to mypillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code Jeff. You will also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and MyPillow towel sets. Or call 800-606-1043 and use promo code Jeff. Now, let me introduce our guest by reading some brief biographical information. Scott Perry brings a unique background of hard work, small business, military leadership, and community involvement to the U.S. House of Representatives. Scott has served three terms as a Pennsylvania state representative, where he established a record for protecting taxpayers' interests in Harrisburg. While serving there, he was assigned to the Committees on Appropriations, Consumer Affairs, Labor Relations, Veterans Affairs, Emergency Preparedness, and Rules. The son of a single mom, he was raised in a Spartan home, which initially had no electricity and plumbing, required bathing in a steel tub on the porch, pumped water from a well, and cut firewood with his older brother to keep the family warm in winter. Shades of Abraham Lincoln. Eventually, he joined the U.S. Army in 1980, serving for 40 years before retiring as a brigadier general. Along the way, he earned qualifications in almost every aircraft in the Army's rotary wing inventory and was deployed to Iraq from 2009 to 2010, during which he flew 44 combat missions. Scott and his wife, Christy, are the proud parents of two daughters. So, with that, Congressman, I could have kept going with your bio, but you do, in fact, have a busy schedule. So, welcome to the Word of the Lord podcast, and let me start with this. The other night, former President Trump was in Wilkes-Barre for a rally. I was invited, and you know exactly how these rallies go, as you have been to your share of them. But one of the interesting aspects of this particular rally was his condemnation of the FBI after their raid on his home in Mar-a-Lago. Notable to me, as I wasn't aware of it until he said something that night, the agents even ransacked the room of Baron Trump, the former president's 16-year-old son. On Monday, a federal judge revealed that the FBI even seized former President Trump's medical records and documents related to his taxes and accounting information during the raid. You, sir, have had your own run-in with the FBI, and I confess the minute I learned of your run-in with the FBI, you, of all people, a patriot's patriot, a sitting United States congressman, a retired brigadier general with those 40 years of military service, including service in Iraq behind you, and the FBI targets you out of the blue? and takes your cell phone? 
What in the world is going on here with the FBI and what can or should be done about it? Your thoughts. Well, Jeff, uh, thanks so much for the opportunity. It's great to see you. And um, look, there's a lot to be said here. Uh, the president's personal uh, health records being taken. And, uh, and and you probably know this, Jeff, your, your, your viewers, your listeners probably know this too. An unprecedented amount of FBI agents, uh, whistleblowers coming to uh, the Judiciary Committee in the House and the Senate to uh, to talk about what's happening in the FBI. Think about this, Jeff. In the last four, four and a half weeks or so, uh, the Federal Bureau of Investigation raided the former president's home, took a uh, an image to the cell phone of a member of com- uh, Congress, uh, potentially violating not only speech and, de- and debate, but attorney-client privilege. Uh, passed a a law, um, they call it the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, do nothing to in, uh, reduce inflation, but will hire potentially up to 87,000 additional IRS agents. And what those, one of the things they will be doing um, is, uh, is looking into you if you disagree with paying for the millions upon millions of Americans who, uh, who had their student loan debt uh, forgiven by the Biden administration. At the very same time, there's some speech given by the president that looks like it's something from Star Wars, where uh, <laughs> Colonel Hux or Commander Hux uh, told everybody that everybody will bow to the first order. This all just happened in the last four and a half weeks. I think what what you're talking about generally, Jeff, is is that the America that the America that you and I know and that most people wake up and every day is horribly on the wrong going in the wrong direction right now completely in the wrong on the wrong track we've got a rising china we have uh, uh, criminals roaming the streets there's plenty for the fbi to do there's plenty you know the the iranians are out trying to assassinate for the former administration officials and the fbi is taking uh, you know, spending their time ransacking Baron Trump's uh, bedroom and I guess Melania Trump's closet. Um, oh, really, really in heading in the wrong direction here. And, and quite honestly, what needs to happen is a, a, a number of things. First of all, um, this uh, one party rule by the leftist Democrats has ha- has to end. And it starts in about uh, three months here uh, with the with the general elections where we hopefully will change leadership in the House and Senate, and then on to two years from now, where we absolutely have to change leadership in the White House. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I heard you speak at CPAC in Dallas, and I thought your focus on how House Republicans should run the House if we win back the House, which we are expected to do, was spot on. Talk to us a little bit about what you see ahead for the House GOP if we do win. What kind of investigations do you see coming? And for that matter, what do you see as the role of the House Freedom Caucus? Should we have the majority? Okay, well, let's start with the end uh, first. Uh, first, we should win the House back. I think Republicans are poised to do it, and I think that America is happy that that's the case. But we have to earn it, and it comes with a lot of work. The House Freedom Caucus has been the kind of the conscience or the soul of the Republican Party. So where um, you know, people run for office and say one thing when they're running for office and then they get in office and it doesn't seem to work out. The Freedom Caucus stands <laughs> for the millions of Americans, Jeff, who feel like Washington or their state capital is left behind. And very simply put, what we said on the campaign trail is what we intend to do 
uh, when we're elected in office. And so one of the things that the Freedom Caucus do will make sure that our party stays true to the things it told the American people it was going to do in Washington, D.C. When we have the majority, we need to do them. We need to be bold. And uh, part of that is investigations and, and it's, it's oversight. That's one of Congress's leading role. And so we want to take a look at the Department of Justice, Jeffrey. Why were, why were threat tags uh, put on American citizens who, who had the temerity to go to a, a school board meeting and ask questions about the education that they're paying for under penalty of law through their taxes? They had the boldness to, uh, to go and question what their children were being taught and then the uh, Department of Justice told the FBI that these are domestic terrorists. We want to we want to look into that. We want to look into Hunter Biden's laptop and the things that uh, the Biden family, including the president, were involved in overseas, whether that's China or whether that's Ukraine. And so, look, you name it from top to bottom, whether it's the housing and urban development um, uh, 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 directorate or or, or whether it's the president himself, if there are questions that need to be asked, that's one of Congress's role. And so every committee in Congress has the duty of oversight. And I think you're going to see a fair amount of robust oversight. But the other thing, Jeff, is, is that what I talked about CPAC is this illusion of representative government. People elect people like me and they send us off to Congress and they think, well, he's speaking on my behalf. He's in committee. He's working on amendments. He's involved in negotiation. What they don't realize is that, especially under Pelosi's rule, uh, but not to, it's not, um, it, it's not uh, exclusive to, to Speaker Pelosi. Um, representatives, oftentimes, the only thing you're involved in the conversation is when you get to vote on the floor. You have an up or down, yes or no vote. So you weren't present at the negotiation where they determine what was in the bill. And so many times, you know, I've got amendments on bills and someone will come to me and say, well, you know, we have a bill, we have an agreement. And uh, so we can't, we can't, you know, your amendment's not going to be in order, but because we have an agreement with the Senate or whatever. And I say, I wasn't involved in the agreement, Jeffrey. My constituents, my bosses weren't, didn't have a say in the agreement. So this is my only opportunity to speak on their behalf. And so I want to offer these amendments. What we're talking about, Jeffrey, is having legislators participate, having the rules change so that legislators, all legislators, not just the ones that have been there for 20 or 30 years, not just leadership, but every legislator from across the country is involved in the conversation. We have up or down votes in committee and there's transparency so the American people can see what we're working on and, and who votes which way. And, uh, and accountability comes with that transparency. That's one of the things that I've been working on. That's one of the things that the uh, Freedom Caucus has been working on. And, and we are dead set to make sure that those things happen so that the people can see what's happening in Washington, D.C. and be, be involved in the conversation and that their legislator is involved in the conversation, not just chairman of powerful committees, but their legislator. Right. I, I remember, not to date myself, but when I was uh, younger and, and working for Congressman Bud Schuster, he he had a senior role on the Transportation Committee. And I remember showing up for uh, a session that was supposed to happen with the staff before we went into committee. They kept us out. Yeah. <laughs> All of the Republicans were kept out of the staff meeting and they plotted and planned. They were in control. They plotted and planned what they were going to do. And we had absolutely no role and were told literally to leave the room. <laughs> yeah, I mean, America, the American people don't realize 
and, and would be appalled to know that the staff runs much of the legislation, does much of the drafting. And, uh, you know, and that's OK as long as they're being uh, if that's in line with what the people on the committee, the members are, want to have done. But it's nobody elected staff. Right. Um, there's no <laughs> right. accountability for staff. We want legislators to legislate. Exactly. Uh, I noticed uh, this morning that the Treasury Department has refused a House Republican request for uh, information on Hunter Biden. <laughs> I mean, to the best of my knowledge, you are an elected representative here, and so are your colleagues. And the fact that the Department of the Treasury is so blatantly political and says, yeah, no, you can't, you yeah. can't have who elected, this information. Who even knows who the treasurer is, right? I mean, most people don't right. even know who that person is. And who elected that person? And how do they have the authority to tell the representative of the, of the people of the United States of America, you can't have this information? Who are they? What authority do they have to do that? So much, Jeff, as you know. And you've talked to uh, President Trump about this. So much has been classified, not because it, it needs to shield the American people need to be shielded from it for national security. But what's happening is if people are being shielded, the American people are being shielded um, so that no one's embarrassed in Washington, D.C. And so these decisions, there's no accountability for the people that make these decisions. All that stuff has to end. One of the things I suggested to him was, uh, you know, we talk about term limits for members of Congress and senators and all that kind of thing. There's never any discussion about term limits for all of these bureaucrats in Washington. Uh, pick a department and they've been there 30 years, 40 years, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, is it time to, to, to do something about that and say, OK, you want to come and work in the agriculture department? You can come. You're done after five years. <laughs> Well, look, I, I think that uh, you're a man after my own heart with that kind of discussion. I think we have to do something. All it takes for you, Jeffrey, as you know, is to drive through the streets of Washington, D.C. You look at these monumentally sized buildings full of people and you think to yourself, what is happening in there all day long? And how did this government <laughs> run without all these people? And what are they doing? And, and we don't have any viewpoint into what they're trying to accomplish. They make these rules, these they, they make rules. Congress doesn't, you know, the, the, we, I've been meeting with constituents today already about rules that were made by rule makers, not laws, and, but they have the effect of law. These are all these bureaucrats you're talking about. We're not saying right. that they're not hardworking, committed, patriotic Americans, but they're not elected and there's no accountability. And, and there's a good chance that there's just too many of them. And there's a good chance that that there's a lot of ideology that's happening as opposed to good policy that's made on behalf of all the American people. And so I think that we have to take a look at how we run this uh, railroad, so to speak, yes. if you want to say that, and, and make some necessary changes. And if you're going to have term limits for Congress, and look, we have term limits every two years, right? Yeah. You can vote for, you, you can term limit a president every four years. We, but there's no term limits for these people that make these rules that the, and, and, and we all have to live under them, but there's no accountability for them. Right. That has to change. One of the things I say only semi-facetiously is that if a congressman wakes up in the morning and his child has a runny nose, he runs into the office and writes legislation to create the Department of Children with Runny Noses, gets it passed. They build a 10-story building, fill it with thousands of employees who are earning a hundred grand or more, and then 
everybody in America has to do what uh, what this bureaucracy says when dealing right. with their own kid and a runny nose. I mean, uh, it's it's gotten way out of control here. Um, out of control is the right way to describe it, Jeffrey. Out of control. As a as a Pennsylvanian, and you're up for re-election yourself, and there are, we have, as you well know, hot races here for both governor with uh, State Senator Doug Mastriano and senator with Dr. Oz. All three of you and other Republicans are being assailed as so-called, quote-unquote, extremists. Uh, this, to me, of course, is nonsense on stilts. I remember when the media and establishment Republicans used to say the same thing about Ronald Reagan. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, this this kind of thing, I see you described this way. It just drives me crazy. <laughs> well, Jeffrey, we're all described this way. And, of course, the president's speech recently was no different, essentially calling half the country uh, uh Semi-fascist. Kind of Semi-fascist, right? Yeah, I wanted to get the term exactly correct. I mean, you, you think about that. And then they call us extreme. Um, and here's what's extreme, Jeff. Telling some private business owner that you're going to shut your business down for a year and take a pittance to pay your bills and then somehow beg the government uh, to have that pittance after they shut your government down. Here, here's what else is extreme. States and potentially the federal government telling you you can't drive your car because it has the wrong kind of engine in it. I mean, look, there are a lot of uh, extremist things happening, but they're happening on the left and they're happening on the Democrat Party and from the Democrat Party. And, and people just don't recognize it because the media never characterizes that way. But they're happy to take the Democrat mantra that we're extremists for wanting to stick up for the Constitution and the freedoms that are right. given to the American people through the Constitution. You know, it's extreme, Jeffrey, telling us that defunding the people that are in law enforcement as the criminals and as the problem is the answer. That That's extreme, right? We all know better, but somehow it doesn't characterize that way. But we need to start thinking of this in terms of those things are extreme. It's extreme to have the government telling us, from, from the moment we wake up until the time we put our head on the pillow, what our lives should be. That's not what America is, and those are extreme things. This, this is a government that is out of control, and none of the candidates in Pennsylvania on the Republican side are extreme because they support the Constitution, they support the rule of law, they support our local police, and they support, they support limiting government's role in your life. Yeah, exactly right. I, I mean, this don't don't even get me started. Well, well yeah, you know, our, our, you know, we I, I hate to comment on some of these races, but because I have my own that I've got to deal with. But uh, you've got uh, generally a guy that's uh, running for the United States Senate who was supported by, by a trust fund. Um, and, and he's out telling everybody we're going to pack the Supreme Court. We're going to end the filibuster. And we're going to move to a more socialist state where we release all the criminals and, and legalize heroin. And, and somehow I'm extreme or Jeffrey Lord's extreme. Uh, right. let, let's see this for what it is. Right. That's exactly right. Uh, to shift gears a little bit, you, you serve on the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee and the Foreign Affairs Committee. And as I mentioned, when I started out in my Washington career, I worked for Pennsylvania's Congressman Bud Schuster, who served on the Transportation Committee and later became the chairman. If I learned nothing else, Scott, it was the importance of the Transportation Committee to Pennsylvania. Tell us a little bit about your work on the committee and what you're involved in and what the well, committee is involved in. Yeah, of course, transportation is big. It's big for the country. It's transportation and infrastructure. 
Right. Of course, it's big for Pennsylvania. We've got one of the oldest road networks and surface transportation networks in the country in Pennsylvania. So it's important to us, but it's important to the country. It's the it's it's by that system that all the goods and services that we that we uh, that make America great, that make us uh, comfortable in our lives. That's how the, all that occurs. And of course, it's under assault right now. Uh, as you recall, the Biden administration passed a so-called infrastructure bill some time ago, spending over a trillion dollars, of which I think less than 10% was on traditional infrastructure. So we all support these kind of things. Uh, traditional infrastructure, like our road network, our bridges, uh, our highways, our airports, our ports, those kind of things that everybody's life is enriched by having. Here's what we don't support. Um, paying for electric vehicle charging stations so that so that people that buy electric vehicles, the, the people that can afford them, uh, then don't have to pay so much to, uh, to charge the vehicle. These vehicles are on the highways, wear and tear on the highways, not paying for their fair share because of the wear and tear. You, you by, your, by, by paying for gasoline and diesel over the course of 100 years now, have paid for the gasoline and diesel refueling network. And that was all paid for private, by private industry but now governments forcing you and your taxes to pay for this new upstart industry, the electric vehicle charging station. Jeffrey, at the very same moment that California is telling people you need to abandon your fossil fuel vehicle and have an electric vehicle, but you can't charge your electric vehicle because we're not producing enough electricity. The transportation and infrastructure bill is actually a disincentive um, because of the, 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 the Green New Deal and those who are worshiping at it, which is the, my colleagues on the left and the Democrat Party and, and, party and certainly this president, um, supporting things that are going to increase the cost of not only the gasoline but, and diesel, which it's already done, as you've seen, Jeffrey. Yes. But I want you to start paying particular attention to your electricity bill because the prices are going to start skyrocketing going through the roof. So not only is it going to be very... Um, costly to heat and 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 air condition your home, run your uh, run your appliances, your toaster, your air. I mean your um, your refrigerator, your washing machine. But every single product that you buy, because the prices are all along the supply chain, those prices are all going to be pushed up. I'm talking to the manufacturing and, and industrial base. Their prices are up three times already this year, threefold, and they're just going to keep going up. So this is what the, the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee has done under Democrat leadership, and you're going to start paying the price for it. And, you're, and if you haven't seen it already, I suspect you have, but if you haven't connected those dots, I'm connecting them, them for you. None of this is necessary, Jeffrey, but all of it is happening because of left-wing Democrat ideologues in Congress and in the administration pushing this woke Green New Deal agenda which is anti-American and it's anti-21st century. It's anti-civilization. Yes. You know, and I, I noticed the other day, and this concerned me, this business in California where, you know, you, you, they're going to cut off the, the your ability to buy gasoline-powered cars and all this kind of thing. Well, that's California, you think, and you kind of roll your eyes. And then I see that I think it's 13 other states right. are considering of doing this. And one of them is our beloved Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Right. I mean, what are they thinking here? Well, you know, it, even more basic than that, Jeffrey, is what is the role of government? Since when does government tell us 
what kind of vehicle we can buy. Why is it any of their business? I mean, right. they can make recommendations about safety or provide information, but banning, banning vehicles that uh, that have lifted America into into greatness and lifted so many people out of poverty and made us a mobile society where we can, if we don't like our choices, we can pick up and move. If we don't like our job, we can easily change jobs. All that's on the table right now, Jeffrey. And like you said, it starts in California, but these other states are considering it at the very same time that California is telling people that you're not going to be able to buy anything but an electric vehicle. <laughs> they're at this very same moment saying you can't charge the electric vehicle because we don't have enough power. They don't have enough power because we, not because we've forgotten how to produce power or transmit power, but because they don't want to produce and transmit power. And yet the, the, the people of California, I don't know when they're going to see the light, no pun intended, but if that <laughs> light is powered by electricity, I guess not for a long time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I... You know, it's just the lack of plain old-fashioned common sense, which is why I love being in the middle of Pennsylvania, <laughs> because right, people right. around here have an abundance of it. All right. And last but certainly not least, you are, as I mentioned, on the Foreign Affairs Committee, serving in particular, I see, on subcommittees dealing with Asia, the Pacific, Central Asia. Americans are, I think, getting increasingly wary of China and its relationship with the United States. Talk to us about what you see in terms of China and its role in dealing with both the United States and the world at large? Look, thanks for the question, Jeffrey. What Americans need to get their minds wrapped around and acknowledge is, is that China is certainly not uh, a friend. It's certainly not a partner. It's not even a strategic competitor. China, China, unfortunately, is the enemy of the United States, not because the, the United States says so, but because China says so. Now, it's also important to point out that when we talk about China in this regard, we're making the distinction between the people of China that would, would love to be free, like in Hong Kong, and the Chinese Communist Party. The Chinese Communist Party seeks to dominate the globe. And the way they want to do that, of course, is to put us in second position. And they're, <coughs> excuse me, they're on the way to doing that right now. And I think that most Americans didn't really realize it until this pandemic recently hit and realized China's involvement. We're never going to know where if it emanated from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. But here's what we do know for sure, is China tried to, tried to hide any involvement in it and made matters worse. Yes. And so China steals about 300 to $600 billion in intellectual property from the United States every single year. Every single year they do that. China does not operate under the same rules of trade, under the same rules of finance. And it's time for China to be brought to heel so that they join the rest of the community of nations that are following the rules. China is still, is still viewed by the United Nations and the World Trade Organization as a rising or developing nation. Jeffrey, this is absurd. This is absurd. They steal our military hardware. They steal the plans. They produce the same stuff. They steal our industrial capacity. And... Uh, and they don't play fair at all. And the United States needs to start treating China and the Communist Party of China as the adversary that it is. I'm on the Foreign Affairs Committee. This is what I say every single day. Unfortunately, um, most of my colleagues aren't willing and haven't been willing yet to take the steps necessary. And I'll just give one example to you. I have a bill to list the Communist Party of China. The Communist Party of China as a transnational criminal organization, which would allow... <laughs> 
which would allow the attorney yeah. general of the United States to prosecute them for these crimes that I've talked about. Human trafficking, drug smuggling, all this fentanyl, the precursors for fentanyl coming from China through the southern border, poisoning Americans, Americans 107,000 last year. Uh, like I said, the theft of intellectual property, the fraud in the financial markets, none of those are being prosecuted. That bill would allow that to happen. I can't get my colleagues to sign on. It is time for America. To, it is past time, long past time for Americans to start getting t- tough with our adversary, which is the Communist Party of China. Amen to that. You know, years ago, I had a literary agent who told me about China and intellectual property. I mean, I was dumbfounded. This was the first I was hearing of this. But this is, you know, this is serious business here, along with all the other things, particularly the fentanyl. I mean, that is just just appalling. Well, Congressman Scott Perry, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. Uh, In this corner, of course, we wish you nothing but the best. And in particular, I can't wait to see you back in the House majority. That will be uh, worth spending some money on popcorn. So, for the word of the Lord, this is Jeffrey Lord. Stop by my website, thejeffreylord.com, to catch up on the news and views. Thanks for coming. See you next time.